Welcome to Light of the World. This podcast is brought to you by St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Irvine, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza, and I'm here with Tom Howard and Ben Strohshine. And we also have taking care of our audio visual today, Shane Perry. So great to have you on Light of the World. And we are in season two. I think we're at about episode five or six or so. And today, as we continue the outline through uh, this book, uh, Faith That Engages the Culture, we're actually on chapter four. And as we're going through this book, the first six chapters, we're kind of explicating, breaking down, explaining, teaching the so-called engagement triangle. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the intimidation factor out of witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel. A lot of times we are bogged down by very intricate outlines and uh, plans and books and all kinds of big binders that give you the impression that if you're not a biblical scholar, you should never share the faith. But we're trying to take a deep breath and know that all are called, all who confess the Lord Jesus Christ are also witnesses for him, his royal priests. And we can do it because the, whole, the Holy Gospel is pretty straightforward. So in just quick review, the engagement triangle is an equilateral triangle. On the top point, we start with the perspective. Then we move down to people. Then we go over to the place. So we're always considering the Christian perspective, the people we're talking to, and the place where we are at, and how the culture and the environment can impact our witness. Having gone through perspective, people, and place in the first three chapters, what we're going to do now is go into chapter four, five, and six to kind of get back to those three points, but using a scripture to further explain each point. So today for chapter four, we're going to go back to the top of the engagement triangle, which is on perspective. And we're going to look at the approach that is described in 1 Peter 3.15. This is a phenomenal scripture that equips the Christian, all who know the Lord Jesus are baptized into his name, to know how to engage people with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that is within you, and do it with gentleness and with respect. So Tom and Ben, we're gonna start off with the first part of that verse, that very important verse in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And uh, when you hear that first part of the verse, as we're launching into um, giving witness to Jesus Christ, why do you think that little preamble introduction is so important? And what, what comes to your mind when you think about those first words? It's really tough to sell something that you don't really believe is true. And so if you're, you know, if I'm selling a product or for a company, obviously the more I believe in the, the quality and the value of that product, what it can do for people, the easier it's got, it's going to be to go sell it. Uh, so the importance for us as individual Christians to continue to receive God's word, continue to receive his forgiveness, uh, to, to be grounded in that ourselves, uh, so that we can go and share that with other people. That's fantastic. Yeah. And people can tell if we don't really believe it. Right. I appreciate that, Tom. Yeah. I was thinking too, the, the word being grounded. Um, in fact, I, th I like that you include the beginning of this, uh, verse in, in, uh, looking at first Peter, cause I think we all know the second part, right? Give a reason, mm -hmm. um, which we'll get to a little bit later, but, um, keeping the focus on 
what the faith is and who God is and my place in that as a starting point makes all the sense in the world. Amen to that. Um, like you, Ben, uh, over the years, I've noticed that we have a tendency to emphasize the latter part. Mm-hmm. Um, apolog- the field of apologetics, um, in, here the word is represented in the original as apologia, to give a rational defense, which we will be talking about later. But again, this is the part that seems to be emphasized. This is what we, it's kind of cool to talk about apologetics. But we forget about this first part. And it, in many ways, if we don't get down that first part, the rest is for naught, uh, no matter how equipped we think we are in the field of apologetics. Uh, so yeah, um, wanted to really spend time to talk about the importance of the first part of 1 Peter 3.15. Um, what's really cool about the context is that uh, Peter, already in the first century AD, he is operating within a anti-Christian environment. Uh, sometimes we think that, you know, oh, poor us, the United States of America in the 21st century, you know, post-Christian, anti-Christian. It, guess what? Uh, Peter was already dealing with it in AD, um, whenever it was, when he wrote um, the, book of, the book of Peter, his, his, first, his first epistle, around halfway through the first century. He was already dealing with the humanism, with the secularism, the anti-Godism, the polytheism, and all the other isms. They were already there. And so he was very concerned about, okay, how do I train the people of God to be ready when we're talking to secularists, people who really don't care? You know, and you know how easy, easy it is for some Christians to get discouraged. Uh, they might come up to someone, they want to do their best to share Jesus, and they might sincerely ask the, uh, the skeptic, you know, have have you found Jesus? You know, that popular comeback, I didn't know he was lost, <laughs> you know, and then, and then we're discouraged. Oh no, I can't witness. Right. Mm-hmm. But Peter is saying, look, let's really back up and see what actually happens. We are all in this world. And this was the case in the first, first century in the 21st century. And we are facing hard times. Life is hard and we're being hit from all angles. And what he is saying is when the going gets tough, Christians have a chance as they live in their baptism, having Christ the Lord in their hearts as holy, to remain steadfast, knowing I'm fine. 10,000 may fall at my right hand, but I'm okay because Jesus is holding me in the palm of his hand. And you know how it's true that you really don't see the real person until there's like the heat is on. If when the Christian is faithful during those times, people go, whoa. What's up with that? Uh, and as you're talking, it makes me think of how much, how much was Peter thinking about his own experience when he wrote those words? You know, I think about how many times Jesus told the disciples, hey, don't, don't tell anybody, yeah. you know, what you saw here. Um, I like the phrase that life is lived in forward, but only makes sense in reverse. <laughs> you know, how much do we kind of look back at our lives and we go, oh, that makes total sense now. I didn't get it at the time. Yeah. I wonder how much Peter experienced that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, impulsive Peter, you know, he, he's the guy that's, you know, speak first, ask questions later, you know, jump first, all that. And, you know, Jesus is, you know, he, he's witnessing to his disciples. He's, he's training them. He's mentoring them. He's saying, hey, don't go, you know, not yet. Don't go tell people yet. Until at some point, things maybe started to make sense and connect with him. And now he's willing to go live and die for the gospel. And maybe... I don't know, speculating, obviously, but I wonder if he was thinking about his own experiences as he's encouraging us maybe to do the same. I think it's a great point. 
because what would be the opposite of being equipped, as he describes in 1 Peter 3.15, it would be living in doubt and living in fear. And he knew what that was. He experienced it firsthand. And during the earthly ministry of Jesus, when he uh, expresses what you refer to, um, we know it as the messianic secret. Like, what's up with that? Why is Jesus doing this stuff and telling his apostles not to say anything? Well, the reason is people weren't ready for it yet because they wanted to make him into a bread king, a military king, et cetera, et cetera. And even the, even the apostles are struggling to know what exactly does it mean that he's the Messiah? What's the implications of that? So Peter wasn't ready, even based on his own experience. Really appreciate that. Yeah, not until Acts 2 anyway, he starts to figure <laughs> things out with the Holy Spirit. But, yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, and you're right. I mean, he, he, I mean he, he told Jesus he shouldn't die on the cross. Right? <laughs> Way to go, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, I like to, to, I forgot what I was going to say. I do that all the time. <laughs> I do that constantly. I'm talking yeah. to my wife well, and I'm like, something else, hey, honey, huh? uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. um, where was I going? I don't know, but well, you had me going somewhere, and then yeah. I got distracted. With you inspired about him, and Peter. Then, yeah. <laughs> Stop thinking about it; it'll come to you. I guess that's right. Um, Go back downstairs. Yeah, I do. I think you know. Mentioned too another thing, Pastor. The, the idea that you know we're just so encouraged as Christians to go, go, yeah. go, go, and we you just, just reminded Ben. Yeah, there yeah. it is. There it is. Yeah. But at some point, you know. So why why would Christians feel unequipped? Well, if we're not trained, if we're not grounded, if we yeah. don't have that. You know, secure within ourselves. Yeah, going is scary. Man, that's so right. Good. Going is yes. scary. But yes. if I know, and I'm the more and more I'm grounded in that, and I feel that that's true, and I've come to believe that through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, man, I can't now. I can't wait to go tell people. Right, some of that fear, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's alleviated. It's fantastic. You, you triggered it for me. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it had to do with um, how we get noticed, um, which is what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we have this vision that we have to do something spiritual or like within the church or some sort of program or activity or we have to have a rally or have a sign. And, and there's certainly places for a lot of those things. Right. But I think in reality, most really good witnessing happens when your faith gets noticed from the outside. Amen, and I, and I think it's in that context you're, you're sharing. Of Amen, man. You face the things of the world, yeah. illnesses, financial hardships. Yeah uncertainty in wars or economies yeah. or pandemics or whatever. Yeah. And people see there's something different. It's, exactly. it's not this grandiose different. Right. It's that calmness, that peace, that joy, yeah. those kinds of it is powerful. attributes that, that really pop to people. Yeah. Um, it's genuine. But I think that's what the beginning of this verse is, is saying, right? Yeah. If, if that's where you're at, so people yeah. will notice. Absolutely. You don't necessarily have to run around with, yeah. with a, a sign out. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah. in terms of getting to access people. Yeah, absolutely. And last Sunday um, in church, after church, we had a Bible study on the book of Acts. I'm sorry, uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke Acts, same author. Almost the same thing. Yeah. Um, and in Luke's Gospel, you can track the public ministry of Jesus Christ in relation to his disciples. And the first thing he says to them is come, and then well into the ministry, he is reminding them and bidding them to follow. And it's not until the end that he says, go. And if we don't have that order, come, follow, go, and we skip ahead, mm -hmm. we're, we're going to fall on our faces. So I, I couldn't agree with you enough, guys, because First Peter 3.15, the first part, 
but honor, but honor in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord is saying, remember first things first. If we're focused on your heart, we're focused about your faith, your life in me, your worship, your being fed, your issues being addressed by my gospel, your experience with the Holy Spirit through word and sacrament. And as you receive that training, and now you're now living for Christ, that puts you in a position that whatever you say to a neighbor is gonna be backed up by a life. They're gonna see consistency between your life and your words. There is nothing worse than um, those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who decide they're gonna pay attention to someone who claims to be a Christian, and they see the Christian making comp moral compromises left and right. They will conclude that this Christian is just kidding themselves or they're a liar. They're not genuine. Now, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that we are perfect, that we have no sin, much to the contrary. We know we, we confess our sins every single day. But the Christian is actively killing and drowning the old man, rising up anew, and living for Christ every single day. And as we prayerfully consider the Lord as holy in our hearts, we care about how we conduct ourselves around our neighbors, at work, at home, wherever we are, and the Lord will bless that effort and put us in a position to witness. I think that's a very different perception than what a lot of people have, out, not, not only outside the church, but even within the church, that yeah. the Christian, to be a witness, has achieved some kind of, you know, character development or, you know, certain standing or a place in their mind and heart where there's no doubt, right? They've achieved something. They've reached some kind of level mm -hmm. where now I've graduated uh, and now I, now I can go share everything because I don't have any doubts or I don't have any struggles or I live a you know, perfect life. And so when we create that image or we're led to, or we're allowed to have that image in my mm -hmm. own head, mm -hmm. well, then of course I'm not ready, right? right. I'm not ready to go share anything because I have not, you know, achieved that kind of level. Amen. But instead, if what we are modeling first and foremost is I'm a sinner in need of Christ, yeah. well, I'm ready to go share that message Amen. because my life will reflect that. Again, yeah. like you said, not as an attempt, yeah. but as a reality. Yes. Uh, so if that's the message, mm -hmm. Jesus is for the broken yeah. and I'm broken. Yes. That's why Jesus is for me. Amen. That's why Jesus is for you. Yeah. Uh, we're all ready to, at the very least, share that. And how yeah. far and how much does that, just that alone, yeah. you know, mean and begin, um, you know, something that, you know, will extend to other things. But like yeah, at, that's at so the basis, good. that's that's our witness. Yeah. That's so good. And it's, and it's not a, it's like a shallow character development thing. And I think that's where we go with it sometimes. Yeah. Like you'll have these good works or you'll be a good person. And that's where we set ourselves up to look like hypocrites. Yes. We indeed. think that we are somehow mm -hmm. better than others. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's not this, my church attendance is perfect or my Bible study attendance is perfect. Right. Or I read my Bible and take pictures of it every day and post it. Yeah. It's this actual living in that true faith of yeah. recognition of sin, confession, receiving the peace that comes in that forgiveness over and over and over. That's yeah. the stuff that starts to, to show and so ultimately, of course, change your character, yeah. right? Because you come, you become more patient with people because you see the patience that's required for you. Yeah. You become because more. Because I get patient. Patience yeah. from yeah. God. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, mm. It's not as if you set out to take a course on patience. Here's right. three steps to be more patient. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. work. This is how to be more humble. And I'm doing pretty well in the <laughs> right. course, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I get an A in humility. Right, yeah, yeah right? I, know. I don't know what's going on. But it, it brings those those characteristics out mm. eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's grounded in the right stuff. And you can't be called a hypocrite if... if Mm-hmm. Your goal is to continue to recognize your sin and then confess your sin and then yeah. receive forgiveness. That's you're not going to. Yeah. If I stop sinning, then you can call me a hypocrite, I guess. But this has been fantastic because you guys are leading me to go back into looking at the words more closely. Uh, but in your heart's honor, Christ, the Lord as holy. Um, if we are even beginning there within our hearts, we know um, as a presupposition that the only way that ever even began to happen is that he had to come to me, a poor, miserable sinner, and take out my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, like Ezekiel says, which means it ain't about me. It's all about him. It's all about his converting power, his grace, his love, his mercy. And then to get to the part that we are going to honor him now as Christ and Lord, think of when um, St. Thomas, when he appeared to St. Thomas, and Thomas had a chance to see the wounds and to touch the wounds. And he, he bows down before Jesus and says, my Lord and my God, to confess Jesus as Lord that way is say, you are my savior from sin, death, and the power of the devil. And if I know this, that you are this for me, now I'm motivated in the right way to come to others. And, and so I, I love what you said. You inspired me to, to comment that way. But the reason I, one of the reasons I love 1 Peter 3.15 so much in this first part is because, again, what the book is trying to address is so many Christians not feeling comfortable when it comes to witnessing. We'll just leave that to the pastor or the elders or whomever, the professional evangelist. Uh, we've had Mark Jason on the show. We just won't let Mark Jason do it when he goes out to university campuses. No, it, one of the things that, Peter, that Luther affirms uh, that I quote in this book is um, Luther says he's making it very clear that Peter is making very clear, that is the Holy Spirit is making very clear that this is for all Christians, all Christians, men, women, boys, girls, elderly, young, regardless of station in life. And this is, this is very enlightening because sometimes we forget that while it's true, we all have different vocations in the different estates, all Christians share the congregational estate where we're fed and equipped to go out and share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same author, Peter, who wrote 1 Peter 3.15, obviously wrote 1 Peter 2.9, where he uh, is inspired by God to recognize all the Christians as a royal priesthood, proclaiming the marvelous deeds who called them, called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, so, this is definitely for all people. I use this first part to say, let me encourage you and comfort you regarding your fear, anxiety, and intimidation when it comes to worshiping. Because for this first part, it is guaranteed 100% that you can do it. Because you haven't even approached the neighbor yet. This is just between you and God. This is you, just you confessing, getting back to your baptism like you were describing, Ben. It's just fostering that life of dependency on your Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you do that, guess what? Christ is being holy in your hearts. And, 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 and the more we nurture that, then it just becomes kind of a more natural thing, as you were describing. And I think we fall into the trap of thinking 
you know, again, I have to have a PhD in theology or whatever to witness, or we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And when we do that, we tend to look at people who have more than me or mm -hmm. are at a, at a quote unquote, better place, better level, higher level than me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm always looking at that and always concluding that about myself, that I'm not good enough, I'm not where I need to be, then my conclusion is going to be, then I can't then go say anything. Um, but I think what we have to kind of remember is that even though I don't know everything, I might actually know more than somebody else that I'm talking to. And whatever level I know, however I judge that, whether it's a lot or a little, mm -hmm. might be something that that person has never heard yeah. or from a perspective or at an angle that they've never heard it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it goes back to what you're saying, which is trusting that the word that has come to me what I have, what has been revealed to me and what I know in my mind, in my heart is valuable, is worth something and can provide great dividends for somebody. Yeah. Um, and just trust that, you know, that, that can happen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking too, we, we sometimes kind of take like a sales approach to it where it's like, mm. just always be closing as if somehow I've got to get you all the way to the baptism font today or to some sort of confession of faith. And um, I think it's better to look at a much bigger picture and realize that your role, and I'm not meaning to diminish it, but it's it might be smaller than that. It yeah. might be this one touch point with this one person this one time. Yeah. You throw out a little something. They meet another Christian another day and they throw out a little something. So um, good. And so it's it's not as if you need to know every detail of every theological concept ever. Yeah. But you're the one that was there that day, or perhaps have the right the right relationship with that person to say the thing that you said, and they heard it because you said it, and they trust you. Yeah. Um, but that then you leave the results up. I mean that that we're so results oriented in, in our culture that this is counterintuitive for us to just say I'm gonna say good things about. God and what he's done for me. And I'm going to yeah. let it go. And that's obviously yeah. what we want, right? right? We want the result. We obviously well, yeah. want people to come to know Jesus. Um, but you know, first Peter three 15, he's not saying go make everybody a Christian, right. even though ultimately today, we know by the end of the day, that's what we desire. And that's what we want. Yeah. All he's saying to do is give a reason, yeah. provide a defense for the hope that you have. Yeah. And you know, maybe in a little way too, again, obviously yeah. some speculation, don't take yourself too seriously right. or, you know, so important that right. you're the only person. Because it all can depends ever, on you, Tom. It all depends <laughs> right. on you. It all depends on me. Just do your part yeah. in your place in life, yeah. as I think we'll get into here. Right. In your place in life, do your part and trust that God will use not just you, right. mm -hmm. but a lot of other people as well. Right. Amen to that, man. Yeah. That's the church. We're a exactly. part of the church. Right? Exactly. We never have to worry about the question, so how many people have you converted? Right. <laughs> We know the answer. Zero. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has. And we're his instrument. When you guys were talking about putting little pieces together, it reminded me of a, a story that I shared at some point. Um, and it, it there was a, a, a man, a Mitch Mathis, I mentioned him in, in Faith That Sees Through the Culture, had cancer, was an atheist, a scientist, PhD. And uh, his wife just couldn't break through. His wife was a Christian. So the wife had a friend who was a Christian who encouraged her and then called my congregation in Texas, talked to the admin who said, thank you for calling, we wanna pray for her, who called the elder who was in the area, and the elder reached out to them, 
and through the elder, a door was open for me to visit. And by the time I got there, uh, Mr. Dr. Mathis was ready. He was ready to talk. He was, he was like, I'm going through this. I'm praying. I don't know what God wants me to know, what I should believe. And would you tell me? And I was like, wow, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so he is putting those pieces together all the time. I wanted to share with you uh, just from the text uh, in really talking about kind of breaking down First Peter 3.15, many of the themes have already come out, but just share from page 57 and following. The words of First Peter 3.15 are tremendously comforting scripture for the Christian who desires help when it comes to engaging for Christ and those who don't know the gospel. Over the years, I've relished being able to encourage Christians who might say, but I don't know how to share the faith. Without missing a beat, I encourage such Christians by taking them to 1 Peter 3.15 and pointing out the very first step for engagement that is something any Christian can do anytime and anywhere. It's 100% guaranteed that a Christian can do this without feeling any pressure or anxiety. On top of that, it's crucial and non-negotiable first step. As Tom brought out, there's something else though. When a Christian by the grace of God takes the first step, the Holy Spirit through the word of Christ will help smooth the path for the rest of engagement. The first step that anyone can do literally makes engagement a realistic expression of faith in the life of the Christian. What is the first step? The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's it. It's obvious why the first step can be done without any pressure or anxiety. The first step is between the Christian and God, <laughs> with no one else looking. <laughs> I didn't write that. Um, the fact is that engagement begins with a Christian's own faith. It's an act of faith that should occur, especially when the Christian suffers for following Christ, might be tempted to fear. The Christian says, no, even when I suffer, I will not fear, but instead I will set apart Christ the Lord as holy in my heart. Now on the next page and the page after that, actually page 60, I talk about how Luther wants to reinforce this idea that at the end of the day, to know that Christ is holy means he's got me. He has got me through all the undulations of life. He's got me. I don't have to fear. My God is a great God who split the Red Sea, who uh, did all the miracles recorded throughout scripture, who raises the dead, who created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word. No matter what I go through, he's got me. So when I'm with a neighbor who's going through a hard time, or even if they know I'm going through a hard time by circumstances, but they see how I react and how I conduct myself uh, in spite of the hardship one way or the other, that's when people will be interested in knowing. Luther's logic worked like this. As I looked at his theology, I, su I supplied a syllogism on top of page 60, two premises and a conclusion from Luther's theology, uh, which really springs from the theology of the cross. Premise number one, God works good through what appears to us either good or bad. Okay, that's the first premise. For the Christian, the one who is hoping in the Lord, who has Christ in their heart as, as holy, God works good through what appears to us to be good or bad. Premise two, when we sanctify Christ in our hearts, of course, by the work of the Holy Spirit through the word, and live in faith, God works good. So the conclusion, therefore, whatever happens to us, good or bad, 
God is working good. And that's what faith knows. And when we take that into the everyday situations of life, the real life situations with our neighbors, and they see that confidence, that's where they're like, you know, I kind of like this person. Everyone else is pulling their hair out and kind of wigging out, but this guy over here is not. What's up with that, Ben? Can, why are you like that? And then you can be all like, well, I'm glad you asked me that question. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and the answer can be as simple as, I know God. That's not a ton of theology. It's a the, That's theology. Yeah. Um, statements about God and thinking about God, but it can be that simple. Right. I mean, as an opener, right? I mean, hopefully eventually you get to share more details about that, but in passing or in as a way to get things rolling, it's enough to simply say, well, it comes from knowing Jesus. It comes from knowing my sins are forgiven. It comes from knowing I have an eternal place. It comes from knowing that what's going on in this world isn't the whole story. Yeah. That's all. Oh, okay. And maybe, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you get another follow-up question or not, but that's a, you know, again, I like the, the language of give a reason or just, just say what's happening. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be a five-point PowerPoint. Yeah. It doesn't have to have an outline. It can just be your yeah. gut reaction of why aren't you freaking out in this moment? Well, because of this. Yeah. It's just your, you know, it's just a, a simple response without having to know all the answers and all the details as to what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, what's going to be the result of this? Mm -hmm. Uh, well, what good, what good is going to come from this? Mm -hmm. Again, the Christian can just say, I, I don't know a lot of those details, but again, I know God will do something whether I see it or not. Yeah. You know? And again, all this is, pre is, is founded on a, uh, you know, the premise that again, you know, all the things, right. God's real. God loves me. You know, all yeah. these things that he's promised me, but yeah, again, we don't have to provide all of the answers. Right. We just, you know, Praise trust God. in God. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Praise the Lord. Again, how how yeah. just anxiety producing is yeah. that when you yeah. think you have to have all the answers? Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. I'm gonna I want to read a Luther quote on this. Uh, he's so good, of course. This, um, but before I do, uh, what you guys brought up uh, made me think of how Satan attacks and tempts. Um, Satan is always trying to take us out of the present and being in the hands of God. He's trying to take us back into time and history so that we would relive the reasons for shame and guilt. Um, and of course, if we're overcome by shame and guilt, then we're taking our eyes off of our Savior who covered all of it with his blood. Very often, though, Satan is trying to take us into the future. What's going to happen? I don't know, and I'm really glad I don't know. <laughs> because for me, he's given me this day. This is the day. Though there is one thing I know is going to happen in the future. The Lord Jesus is going to come again. That's the part we can cling to when it comes to the future. But the point here is that getting back to the anxiety that we're talking about, when people are drugged to look down the corridor of time, to look forward to the corridor of time, Satan's going, that's exactly where I want you. Because now you're going to worry. Because nobody knows. And you're going to try to speculate and guess and put scenarios together and imagine how it might go, and you're going to drive yourself nuts instead of just living in the day. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 51.10. But this is what Luther says. This is out of American Edition. Luther's works, American Edition, volume 30, page 103, quote from Luther. Therefore, this is the procedure. You must sanctify him in your heart, says St. Peter. That is, when our Lord God sends us something whether good or bad, whether it benefits or hurts, 
whether it is shame, honor, good fortune, or misfortune, I should consider this not only good, but also holy, unquote. Wow. Because whatever it is, he's going to work good. And I tell you what, we just don't hear this enough nowadays from the modern church. It's all about live this way so you can avoid the bad stuff. You know, it's like, get real, right? The bad stuff comes, but how God works through it is what really matters. And trusting that good will come outside of my own evaluation of the circumstances. Um, you know, because again, if we're going to say that was good, that was bad, you know, how do we define that? You know, what's the standard that makes something good or bad? Yeah. Um, and so often it's, again, truth is found only in what I can see through my own eyes or I can mm-hmm. make sense in my own brain. Uh, you know, how we define good or bad can oftentimes my own views of that can be kind of thrown into that, that mix and how I evaluate and the conclusions I draw. Um, but to trust that according to God, he will bring some good, mm-hmm. you know, and, and leave it at that, even if it doesn't, you know, you know become clear in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can hear the the current culture we have, and maybe it's always been like this, but of, of just really trying to, to have everything go as smooth as possible. Right. Um, to be comfortable at all costs. How boring. Right. <laughs> um, and, and that, and it's dangerous because it's just not realistic in yeah. any culture in any right. time in, in history. No one has ever had it mm-hmm. like that. Right. You can right. have, you know, and so we're, we're trying to control whether that's through money or power. Um, and even then that can all be stripped away yeah. by things that you can't possibly control. And so, you know, that's that Satan making you look forward. Okay. It's all out of control. You don't know what's going to happen, but you can control it. So get after it and control it. Mm. If you do this and mm. well, those, are, those are lies. Yeah. Right? Um, rather to go back to the truth. We know yeah. God is in control, Amen. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like it, but yeah. he is, yeah. you know, and if, if we can almost, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, a, a parent and a child, right? Yeah. The parent sees it different than the child. The child trusts the parent, and so everything's cool. You sit in the back of the car, and you go for the ride. Um, And I think that's the part where we have to get back to the true statements about God. He is good. He wants good for us. His definition, (laughs) not me comfortable every day getting whatever I want, whenever I want it, right? Exactly. Um, And so the more we focus on those truths, it keeps us in that, that proper space. And then you don't get all caught up in the things you can't control. You're not clinging to those. So good. The, the last part I just wanted to bring up before we, we continue in the verse, we're, we're still on the, the introductory words, um, is the, the part about saying, okay, so to have Christ uh, holy in our hearts um, as Lord uh, means that not only our words, but also our lives, our actions are, are holy. L- let's be sure we know exactly what we're talking about. Don't start dressing like a Jedi or a monk and, and go around thinking that your dress, you know, is how you should adjust to be holy. Um, what we're talking about is, I think, Ben, you already brought this up. We want to live in our baptism, which means that daily we're confessing we're sinners and that we need God, as I think you were elaborating upon, Tom. Uh, the other part of that is we are constant in prayer. Christians who know the holiness of Christ are praying all the time which is another way of saying, I need you 24 seven. And if that doesn't engender a heart of humility, I don't know what does. The other thing is 
it's all about serving the neighbor, to love my neighbor, to be preoccupied with the needs of my neighbor and not myself. Uh, tomorrow I'm preaching on a good version of ambition and the bad version of ambition, which we're warned about um, in God's word. Um, and, then, and then finally, of course, it's, uh, it's, it's worshiping the Lord and reflecting what we receive in worship through our witness. So it's it's very it's kind of like identifiable. It's not like mystical. It's not ethereal. Ooh, you know, be holy. You know, and <laughs> you get all these kind of weird ideas about what that means. And usually, it's ways of practicing self-aggrandizement that I'm better than you are. You know, um, I've got the force and you don't, or whatever. <laughs> so it's just very identifiable markers as to what that holiness looks like. And I think it is more of of a of a worldview or perspective than a specific action as you go through life. So even thinking about prayer, we make that transactional. If I pray, I'll get, Mm, or if I pray a lot, I'm holy. Yeah. I prayed every day and you prayed how many times, you know, right. Right. But what you described is prayer that is reflecting my need. That's right. It's putting me right back into that. Yeah. Utter, utter dependence on position before God and dependence and, um, and prayer does that for you yes. because if you're praying often, it's because you recognize your dependence, Amen. not because you're checking some boxes along the way. Yeah. Um, about 20 years ago, um, there was a movie made on Luther. And there's been a lot of movies made on Luther, but this one I, I, I shared clips with in some of my presentations. And uh, as a matter of fact, I had a chance to share it recently with the faculty and staff at Orange Lutheran High School. And it's a clip of Luther... Um, being uh, scrutinized and on trial in, in front of the emperor. And um, he is, he needs to, uh, they're, they're insisting that he recant uh, what he's written. And the first day of the trial, um, he just, he chickens out and, and they give him a day. So in the movie, they shift into his little room, his little cellar. Um, and at night, they show this scene. They're elaborating on the scene, which I thought was artistically brilliant. But they're, they're depicting the battle within Luther. And he hates himself for having been so timid and afraid not to speak up. And he's just lambasting himself in such a way as to confess his sin to God. And after he confesses his fear, he hits the deck. And he's on the ground praying to God. And he has his face toward the ground. And what the movie does, the movie takes license. I, I've never read it anywhere, so I don't know if it's actually recorded anywhere in writing, but I think the movie takes license to have um, the actor playing Luther on the ground quote uh, Psalm 119.94, saying, um, I am yours, save me. That's prayer. Mm-hmm. I need you. Desperately, I'm yours. Save me. And then he comes back the next day and he goes to town. He says, look, there are three groups of books here. You know, these, okay, I was a little hot. I I went too far. I got nasty. All right, I I can confess that. This set of books, the fathers have been teaching this stuff from, from the beginning. Anyone who denies that would be denying the faith. These books over here, I'm warning against what's happening in the church today. And I've got to. I have to. If I don't, I'm unfaithful to God. Here I stand, <laughs> right? So um, Luther prays this way, I am your, save me. And it's a beautiful prayer, and that's holiness. 
well, you look at him, he's a mess, right? <laughs> he's going through this conflict and he's trembling and he doesn't look strong in the faith. Is that holiness? Well, yeah, it is because he's utterly dependent on God. So I just wanted to make sure we got that out there that uh, when we say holiness, we're, you know, we need to define that the right way. We're set apart in Christ. We actually take after our Savior. When he walked the earth, he wasn't very impressive to a lot of people. And his children are kind of the same. But the Lord has a way of, of working through that which is weak and that which is despised by the world. I think, it, I think it leads into that second part of the verse, which, you know, it says, you know, be prepared to give a defense. Yeah. You know, the walking humbly, as you mentioned earlier, the idea that our, we're constantly focused on our neighbor. Yeah. And when it's about us and we're saying, well, what are you projecting? Uh, what are you, you know, what great presentation are you making? What brilliant argument are you coming up with? It's, we're not, what we're doing in that situation is kind of creating a program yeah. without recognizing our audience. That's right. And being ready to respond to the moment, yeah. respond to the situation, respond to the person. Yeah. What is their need? Mm. If I can recognize the need, mm -hmm. the solution becomes more apparent. Yeah. Um, but also if I'm responding to something, whether it be an attack, uh, even a malicious attack, or just a question, a very sincere, honest question that's being posed to me. Mm -hmm. Now I'm responding to that moment. I'm responding to that question. And yeah. so it kind of takes me out of the equation yeah. and this, this pressure to present or be yeah. or make. Instead, it's what's happening, yeah. who's involved, what do they need, yeah. what questions do they have. Yeah. Now, how do I best respond to that? Yeah, that's so good. That's super good. Yeah, and if it is a strict yeah. program of I first say A, then I say B, then yeah. I say C, yeah. well, what if you didn't ask me any of those questions? Right, right. <laughs> and I'm giving you answers that you yeah, didn't ask for. Didn't ask for, which instead is of focusing can be on you really and problematic, you need and, by the way. Where you're at, yeah. Yeah, we do, we do not want to introduce areas of dispute that aren't being asked. We mm -hmm. just make it more complicated. Well, and it makes assumptions about the person. Yeah. Too, which I think. You know, it, it goes without saying that there, yeah. there are problems there. I'm That's assuming the this part. about that person. Right. I'm assuming this is what the, I mean, we all know what we all need in general. Yeah. But when it comes to a specific barrier to their faith, yeah. a specific question they have, um, something I'm observing from that, uh, you know, of them, you know, for, to some degree of a distance. Yeah. When I start projecting and making assumptions about people, yeah. um, I can get lost in their actual need. In a hurry. And people know when you're not listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're that's not, what that is. You, yeah, you're the, just here to tell you, I'm going to yeah. tell you stuff. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to do my sales pitch. And, and even then, you're setting yourself yeah. as up here, right? That's yeah. why you should listen to me. Yeah. Because I've got it figured out. I'm up here. You just absorb yeah. what I've got for you. And that doesn't usually work. You actually reminded me when you were... Uh, when you turn this corner about how we view our neighbor, that to have Christ in our hearts is holy and then apply it to ourselves to be holy in the right way, according to the word of God, it also extends to our neighbor to view our neighbor as holy. This one in front of me is holy to our Lord Jesus Christ. And what, is, what does that mean? Does it mean I freak out and start sweating? No, it means I love them. This person is loved by Jesus, so I'm going to love him too. And so now it becomes important not to follow a script. It becomes important to follow a relationship and the circumstances. When, when, a, when somebody asks me, you know, maybe a student of our, you know, one of our students will ask, well, I, I don't know what to say. What do I say? 
I think a, a great response to that is, what do they need? That's good. You know, I, I don't know what to say. You know, students yeah. will come to me and say, well, I have the situation or what do I do? Yeah. And the first thing I will just start doing is asking questions. Mm -hmm. say, well, I don't know. So mm -hmm. give me more information. Yeah. The only way I would ever have any type of an idea of an approach mm -hmm. or where to start or yep. what to say is if I gather as much information as I can. So think of their need yeah. and, and what to say or maybe where to guide or where yeah. to go becomes yeah. a little bit more apparent. So the next time we get together, uh, we're going to do uh, chapter five to talk about when we go down to people, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9 about attitude. And you're, you are describing the attitude right now. It becomes about what is your need and how can I adjust to serve that? Um, it's super important. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, but as we turn the corner now and go to the rest of the scripture, always being ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you, part two. There's actually three parts to this verse. We just talked about the first part. Now we're going to the second part. And in the second part, this is where we encounter always being ready to give an answer. This is where the word apologia appears. And we've kind of picked up the football and run with it to develop a vast field of apologetics. And I've said many times before, I think, that I love the field of apologetics. I went back to school for apologetics. It's a great field, it's a fun field. I know you guys have done apologetics. Um, but it's a shame when we take the basic meaning of apologia and we inflate it to be advanced knowledge in the field of language and knowledge itself and archeological evidence for the gospel and legal argumentation and logic and all of the uh, very developed arguments for the history, the um, integrity of the New Testament documents and the uh, the evidence for the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this big, you know, tome of information now before us to do apologetics in the 10th degree that again, if the average, average, average Christian, royal priest in the eyes of God, wonderful, holy child of God, has the impression they have to go back to school to do 1 Peter 3.15, then we're misleading people. Because the basic and fundamental re, uh, definition of apologia is to truthfully testify. It's like being on a witness stand and just telling the truth about something. That's it. Now we can build on that, certainly, but the first step is the most effective step. It's a testimony. Jesus is Lord and he has forgiven my sins and yours for free. There it is, you know, uh, or some of the different ways we've talked about approaching it. And, and, and this is where it becomes exciting that because he's holy and because you're holy and because he's a God of love, I can simply testify to the truth that right here, right now, God loves you and wants me to proclaim that all your sins are washed away. Now we keep in mind, if the person's expressing a hardened heart, they're denying the problem of sin, we're gonna have to back up and deal with that with the law. But the testimony itself is straightforward truth telling. And that's what makes it easy. That's the part we, we I know this stuff, yeah. right? Um, and, and it's just, I, th I think maybe it seems too obvious or too simple or too easy. We, you know, that it's, is it enough to just say, well, you know, we're all broken. 
and we need Jesus and he is good and he has already done this work for you. Mm-hmm. We don't think that's going to like close it. Like that's yeah. not going to, if you don't believe yeah. that's going to sound silly to you. Yeah. So I got to find some other way to get there where I like lay out this huge case yeah. to try to bring you along. And there's a place for that yeah. right over a long period of time potentially. But yeah. you know, even as you kind of like, will read a couple things or you're summarizing something yeah. as you do that, you're often like saying gospelly things yeah. and I enjoy it. Yes. Like I'm just hearing God is good. You said yeah. that like six times today. And every time I'm yeah. like, he is good. Like, Amen. like it's enough to just yeah. say true things about yes. our state in this world and yeah. the brokenness of it all, which should resonate with just yeah. anybody. And then the simple truths, like those are, you can't skip past those. Well, it comes back to, well, I think being grounded in the word and being more and more affirmed in those truths for yourself, yeah. right? So, you know, the more we have that, the more then we can proclaim that what we believe to be true. You know, why do you believe this? Why, you know, because I think it's true. And again, it, it, if we're not starting from the truth, then I may be real tempted to, to think I have to go in, into more complex details or come up with some kind of weird, you know, way to phrase it or just something that's new. But if, if we believe that the basic truth is actually true, then yeah. that's the truth that grounds me and centers me and gives me peace and hope and joy. Yeah. So all I have to do is keep coming back to that basic truth. Man, that's so good. I, I, I so agree with you guys because I, I think we're trained in our world that anything that we're going to sell, and of course that's not what we're doing, but we're trained to kind of put it in that category, we really need to make it really darn good presentation and you got to give me good reasons. You've got to really draw out a defense. You need to find ways to convince me. And so because of that, we hesitate to just speak the plain truth. And the, the plain truth is that the gospel, <clears throat> and, and this is, I know it's something we said before, we should always say it to remind ourselves that Sometimes that word can be confusing in that we know that the, new, the first four books of the New Testament are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when we say gospel, we mean here, we mean the good news of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Um, and that includes God loves you for free. God saves you from your sin for free. He gives you eternal life beyond death for free. He gives you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter for free, the kingdom of God for free, the Holy Church and the fellowship that comes therein for free, the full armor of God, the gifts of the Spirit, all of it for free. But we keep being reminded sin, the world, and Satan are pounding into our heads every single day. And even Christians want to fall to the lie. Nothing is free. Nothing. But the Lord is saying, take a deep breath, just trust me and speak the truth. Tell this other sinner who's a sinner like you that I love them for free. They're forgiven for free on account of my son. One of the, we teach a, a lesson on law gospel, of course, at, uh, early in the semester. Uh, and I, I, I define it that way sometimes for students. Like it's, it's just good news and, yeah. and you don't do news. Yeah. You announce news, That's which right. is what you just did, yeah. right? And so, you know, if we really believe that that it's through faith or through God's word that that builds faith, yeah, 
then all we have to do is say his words out loud. Amen. I mean, with all the proper, yeah. you know, relationship and all that. It's not like yeah. you can just scream from a helicopter or something like that. But yeah. in the midst of a conversation with somebody that we know mm-hmm. in a relationship to just announce these truths, mm-hmm. you know, and again, some of the convincing is is helpful. Some of the argumentation is fascinating and logical and wonderful sure. and yeah. that can all have its place. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if anything's going to change in this person, it's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit Amen. through God's simple word, Amen. which you literally just said out loud right now. Amen. You know, it, it's just announcing it. Yeah. It's much more of a of a TV anchor yep. reading the news. I'm not yeah. the investigator. I didn't write it. I didn't right. figure it out. I'm not solving anything. I'm just saying it out loud so you now know this information. I couldn't agree with you more. That's so good. And, yeah. and it's, but that's freeing to me. Yes, you amen. know. That I'll, my job is just to, yeah. to repeat what I've seen, like you said, right? Yeah. It's just to say, well, what'd you see? Well, I saw that. Yeah. Who's exactly. this God? Well, he's this good God that made us. Amen. And he gave us all these free things. That which I have received, I just now pass on to you. Yeah. yeah. I just tell you. You have freely received, freely give. But I would hope um, that would unburden yeah. people to, yeah. that's the role. Yeah. That it's not a, it's not an overly um, complicated or... Difficult thing. When you were describing the the simple testimony compared to the more advanced apologetics, you reminded me that um, the more advanced apologetics, which are very valuable, as you just affirmed again, um, that is really uh, kind of like a framework or a scaffolding to serve the basic testimony. And I actually get into detail about this in another book, Theologia et Apologia. Um, and, And so it's like, I don't need the advanced apologetics to proclaim and testify. Mm-hmm. I can use them to support the context of proclaiming and testifying, but I don't need the advanced apologetics to give that which saves the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so anybody can do that. Seven-year-old Christian little person can say, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, you know, and boom, there's the gospel, right? Um, so we have a chance now to to turn a corner and go to the last part, the third part of First Peter three fifteen. So after we have given um, a testimony for the hope that is within us, which by the way is a sure and certain hope, it's not uh, an emotional hope. It's a it's a certain hope according to the promises of God. I guess I could have said him a little more about that, but we'll uh, let that be sufficient to say this is a sure and certain hope based on the promises of God that we express and share with people regardless of earthly circumstances. But now we come to the last place. Yet do it, or but do it, depending on the translation, yet do it with gentleness and with respect. And this is where we're saying, okay, we've talked about your preparation, part one. We've talked about what you're actually saying, part two. But now we have to talk about how you say it, part three. And just as part one was super important, you know, like, like we said before, we don't get, get off the ground the right way. We're going to blow it. Uh, we'll get in the way of the Holy Spirit. The last part is super important on the how we say it. One of the things I bring out, uh, and this was really made getting into this text really, really worthwhile, and I hadn't always seen it in my ministry, but the, um, the gentleness is what is coming from us to the neighbor we're speaking to. Certainly, we should also respect our neighbor. That's kind of a no-brainer. But contextually, we are giving respect and honor, again, to the Lord who's there. 
So as I am gentle to the person I'm talking to, I am really being mindful that the Lord is standing right there. And so how I conduct myself in this situation is an opportunity to respect him. <laughs> uh, so, so why are these things so important in the how? What do you think? It doesn't matter what you know if nobody's willing to listen to you. Hmm. Right? So you can be the smartest guy in the room, but if you're not sharing that knowledge uh, in a way that people want to hear, um, you're not somebody people want to listen to, you know, what you know, um, if it, 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 having the truth is nothing if I can't share that truth and that truth is not received mm -hmm. uh, by the other person. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with the bullhorn, just screaming, right. thing, you know, so right. announcing it is good, but it has to be announced to in a fashion that is hearable, mm -hmm. um, that will draw people in rather than, than turn them away. As you kind of were there earlier, but I was thinking about, you know, if you if you go out to any debate on YouTube or discussion about or, or disagreement, it's all about winning. It's about destroying your opponent and crushing them and showing how stupid they are. And this is the absolute opposite of that. Right? Wow, that's so you're, good. You're trying to because yeah. you value them, right? Yeah. They're, they're a safe child of God, too. They're yep. loved. You know, Christ died for them. Yeah. And so if I see that value in them, mm -hmm. I have to treat them that way. I can't. Yeah destroy them i can't that's right them. and how could i ever win them over to the faith if i'm yeah. destroying them it's totally yeah. insane yeah good, um, good. and so just that respect and kindness mm -hmm. is the only possible way to get yeah. them to hear these good truths man that is deep and it's really good i i i've uh, pastor marjasa would totally back you up on that um he talks about the importance when we witness and getting to that second point on on people or attitude or finding common ground, understanding where they're at, is even to the point of listening to them in terms of their current worldview, their current beliefs, and not trying to destroy the worldview, but to find things about the worldview that we can agree with. Mm -hmm. But how many Christians go, oh, you're, you're giving me a contrary worldview to Christianity, so now it's my job to destroy your worldview. Mm -hmm. And it feels really good because I think I can win this argument. We've blown it. We're not loving the person anymore. We're not being gentle anymore. We're, we're putting it in an all or nothing category. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm right, you're wrong, 100%. As mm -hmm. if everything I have in my brain is right without being <laughs> humble enough to go, yeah. yeah, probably have a few things wrong. Right. Um, and thinking that everything that they think is wrong. Yeah. Neither one of those is true. That's right. Right? So yeah. any kind of you know, even from the basic standpoint, if somebody looks at an action in the world and goes, man, I think that's, that's evil. I think that's mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? I agree with you on that. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be a spiritual. We agree with atheists. Yeah. Right. There are things about their worldview yeah. that we share. Yeah. And so if we set up this, well, I'm in one corner of the ring and they're in the other, and we automatically assume that there's nothing but division between us. Yeah. And not looking for those places that, that we do share yeah. um, as truths. Uh, right then it becomes that battle royale that's why every other video posted on twitter or or you know any social media is you know watch so and so destroy so and so that's so unhelpful. and it's always framed that way yeah. so then of course how does that get in the mind of the christian well right. my job is to go and then you know we use unfortunately the war metaphors inappropriately right where now it's like i'm ready to go fight yeah. somebody the church militant means yeah. go slaughter your yeah. opponent yeah. Right. Yeah. no Good. it doesn't uh -huh. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. we haven't seen that Right. turn out poorly throughout right. history. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's trying to see 
them not at it as a figure mm -hmm. to destroy, yeah. but a human being to win over. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. When, when you, you're elaborating with uh, atheists, uh, the first point you have in common is you both have positions about God. I mean, seriously, right? And you both have forms of faith. You know, so that's just starting, and there's a ton of other things you can identify. You might both like baseball, you know, so pay attention. Um, can we continue? What if in the conversation we just said something that just sets the other person off and, and they get nasty? Can we still be gentle towards them if that happens? I hope so. <laughs> um yeah, that can be that can be difficult. One of the things is maybe a little bit different direction where you're going, but it, it I thought of this. Uh, you know, one of the things I tell our students when we do anything with apologetics because we've got one video where the person clearly is there to like attack and mm -hmm. destroy, and they're kind of they're they're playing some games. Mm -hmm. And so there is a point where if you do feel uncomfortable or you feel attacked in a way that's un, uh, unsafe to you or you just are, it's too hard or too you know harsh, you can walk away. You know, you have that freedom to trust the church and to trust God to get to that person on another day. It might not have to be you, mm -hmm. um, which in some way could be a gentle way, right? If you're screaming at me right now, yeah. I would actually kind of think it's gentle towards you for me to say, I'm not going to scream back at you, but I'm also going to leave. I'm not going to let you keep screaming at me. Yeah. But the apologist uh, Gregory Kokel uh, argues in his book um, Tactics that if anything is going to be offensive, uh, it should be um, what we proclaim to be true, not our behavior and not our actions. And I think that, you know, Jesus, you know, what Jesus said to people, according to Scripture, didn't always land well with everyone. There were people that were pretty angry with the stuff he said. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's, it would be tough to see the way he approached that mm -hmm. as being offensive. Um, so it's a good point. You know what we say, what we proclaim to be true, mm -hmm. the lines that we hold. Here I stand; I can do no other. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if that becomes offensive to people, mm -hmm. you know, we might have to be willing to accept that reaction. Yeah, but continue to try and do that in a way that um, is not demeaning to the other person, um, but helps them see that you know why would I say this thing to you, yeah. even though you don't like hearing it. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe even just having them go through that thought process. Like, why am I saying this to you? Is that because I really hate you? Or is it because in my mind, I'm trying to show love to you? Now, you may disagree that I'm trying to show love to you. But can you see that maybe if I believe these things are true, mm -hmm. right? You know, you're, you're about ready to drink a, a, a glass full of acid. Mm -hmm. And I try and make an argument that I don't think you should because that's going to harm you. And they get offended by that. I'm not going to stop mm -hmm. proclaiming what I believe to be true. Yeah. But if they can see it that my motivation is because I care about you and maybe even have them kind of consider, what if I'm right? Mm -hmm. Right. If I'm actually right, mm -hmm. then through that lens, am I loving you or hating you by saying this? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, trying to maybe, um, you know, change the lens through which they're seeing, yeah. um, you know, my approach or what I'm saying. Yeah. Again, easier said than done, but um, I think that's a, a, a strategy. That's super good. Uh, there's a point in the book, I don't remember where it is, but we talk about there are some situations that are so far gone that we do need to walk away. So I really appreciate your point, Ben, about that. But for the most part, having said that, um, 
Yeah, we can be gentle. We can maintain gentleness. Um, and understanding that the words themselves can set people off, but we can continue to be gentle. And what's really cool about that, if you go to Romans chapter 12 about love, and if your enemy is involved, then we don't return evil for evil, but we overcome evil with good. And one of the ways we do that is by maintaining gentleness in our speech as we're talking to people. And that in and of itself kind of gets back to the first part of First mm-hmm. Peter 3.15, uh, because you're not acting like most people do. Most mm-hmm. people would be returning fire by now, but mm-hmm. you're not doing that. Where's your calmness coming from? Exactly. Where's your confidence coming from? Exactly. So that is so important. Now, the last part is uh, showing respect, respecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important as we're dialoguing with people? Well, it's the, it's, uh, it's the reason I'm saying it, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm respecting the, the reality, you know, what I believe to be the reality of the universe. I'm submitting to what this reality, this, this God that I believe is real and exists Mm -hmm. and has done very real things for me. Mm -hmm. um, That's the truth. Um, and so, you know, unfaith is, you know, in part saying to God, you're wrong. Um, so when I proclaim his truth to others, um, I'm submitting to what I believe is that truth, whether I understand it, whether I get it fully, whether I agree with it even sometimes, mm-hmm. um, I'm showing that respect to something that I think is real, that has authority. And and I think, you know, lastly here, that I'm not submitting to something that, you know, is tyrannical in nature or wants what's bad for me. Um, if I see that this is what's good, yeah. of course I'm going to submit to that. I'm going to yep. submit to a friend who mm-hmm. thinks of my best interests or a, mm-hmm. you know, a marriage partner or you know, parents or whoever, that if, if I really believe that they want what's best for me, yeah. I, I'm going to listen to what they say. To I'm going to receive what they are offering yeah. because you know, to, that, that would be the respectful thing to do. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that um, when we are utterly convinced of the Word of God, that when we're sharing with others, Jesus is standing right there, then I know that Jesus is there reminding me how to treat this person. <laughs> so, look, uh, you think you know, you think you have it bad. I got crucified for telling the truth, mm-hmm. but I love them anyway, so I expect you to love them. So, Lord, I'm going to honor you by truly loving this person. Yeah, not, it drives up their that. value. Exactly. And then that forms how you... Exactly. And again, it's it's not this like he's over your shoulder watching right. you. You better... Right. <laughs> it's it's yeah, reminding you not pal- yeah. of, of who you are in him and who this person is. Exactly. As well. And then yeah. you have to... It, it, it's a one-to-one for then how you treat that extremely valuable person. And I think, I think another thing that's important and maybe helps with the gentleness thing uh, and how we treat people is... To, to, if we are really about the truth, yeah. then I think we have to admit uh, the possibility that we could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And what would be the loving thing that I would want another human being who truly loves me mm-hmm. to do is help me see the truth. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've found that to be very effective in conversations with people that um, mm-hmm. once people that I've been in regular dialogue with, if if they believe that I want to know the truth and I'm willing to listen to their argument and what they perceive to be is the truth, mm-hmm. 
and I'm open to that, that, that certainly creates a, you know, uh, an environment of mutual respect. Yes. And, uh, and also then goes to the point that I'm not just saying this because I want to be right. Yeah. I want to be better than you. I am in a sincere pursuit of the truth. Yeah. And so I'm willing to listen to every, any other argument mm -hmm. that's done out of love for me yeah. if they are really trying to help me see the truth. Um, because if they're right, yeah. I want to know that. Yep. And if I can, and if I can approach it from that standpoint, hopefully mm -hmm. that opens the door for them to mm -hmm. re-engage in that mutual then discussion. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes it a joint exercise. Yeah. You're now sitting yeah. on the same side of the table pursuing truth. Right. This is how I understand it. How do you understand? Yeah. It? You're just exchanging ideas and trying yeah. to understand each other, rather than yeah. attacking each other. Where I've really actually experienced that is when you do listen to the the Muslim or the um, Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or atheist um and you're practicing the mutual respect i am always learning i mean mm. you know i hadn't heard it put that way before mm -hmm. or there's this other element i hadn't considered and if they see that we're being genuinely receptive then they're going to be more apt to be receptive um so great i this is fantastic guys uh, this is a very i want to encourage everyone listening that when you get to chapter four in this book it's a super small chapter but, um, you know, it's a crucial element to consider that tip of the engagement triangle, the, um, the perspective in terms of the attitude of First Peter 3.15. But as Tom brought up, next time when we go, to, well, he brought up the part that relates to the people themselves and getting into their shoes and really understand where they're coming from. We're going to talk about that next time in light of the world, uh, chapter five, engagement's attitude. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. And not only does he say something that's really super popular, I become all things to all men that I may save some by all possible means. But he gives four examples of what he does specifically. To the Jews, he became like the Jew. To those uh, under the law, he became as those under the law. To those who were weak, he became as a weak. And then he says something that is out of this world. He says, to those outside the law, those who are immoral and licentious, I became like those outside of the law. What did you just say? How do we understand that? How do we put that in proper perspective? No, Paul didn't willfully sin. I can tell you that right now. But we're looking forward to that one as we talk about the engagement triangle with people and the actual attitude that flows from 1 Corinthians 9. So we hope you'll join us again for Light of the World. So with that, thanks, Ben. Thanks, Tom. And thank you for Shane Perry just taking care of us back there, taking care of the camera and audio and everything. Shane is a blessing to us. And with that, the Lord bless you all. We hope to see you again next time on Light of the World.